that is the Gold Cup hero. Two of the most admirable chasers you could possibly wish to see. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Race Hour podcast. Well, not that special, but we don't normally do anything during the flat season at all, but we've been starved of racing for so long. Um, of course, due to a global pandemic, which no one could see coming and actually ended with the well, the end of the Cheltenham Festival. Myself and Dermot Nolan were there. Dermo is here. Hello, Dean. Good to have you, Dermo. Um, it's been a long time since we had anything to chat about on the Race Hour. We thought we'd bring in a couple of people that you may or may not know. Dave Weldon is back. How are you doing? You well? I'm very good. And Artie's, well, production guru, that's Connor O'Hare. Looking forward to the resumption, Connor. Yeah, sure am, lads. Yeah, looking forward to getting back on. It's been too long. Dermo, you were writing a piece on uh, bookmakers.co.uk, which has basically been waiting for any kind of sport to come back, about how this opportunity presents itself to racing across both sides of the water, Ireland and the UK. Um, suddenly, racing is going to get a bit of the spotlight here. Awful circumstances for that to happen, but blimey, it has an opportunity. Massive, Dean. Yeah, like, you know, like we've had... We've been a sport lately that's that's just, you know, we've had to move the Grand National to avoid the uh, 3 p.m. kickoffs. We've had to just, everything is kind of built around avoiding other sports. We've a golden period now of a month at least. Oh, well, not a month, about 16, 17 days until the Premier League is back, where in the UK on ITV, horse racing is front and centre. Um, and then you move back to RTE and it's going to be longer probably until there's live sports on RTE bar this because mm. the... Electricity League here, which is our soccer division, that's going to struggle to come back. The GAA definitely won't be coming back. There's no Olympics, no Euros. So in Ireland particularly, racing could well be sitting on a golden period where it's front and centre and RTE as Conor O'Hare will be well involved with. Well, Conor, I mean, we, we, you know, we, we've, we've spoken to you before on podcasts and things, but like to, you're right in the centre of what's going to happen there. They're actually going to start doing one-hour programmes. I heard Ruby Walsh talking about the idea that that's long enough to keep people's attention. I think they'll show two of the best races at the back end of some cards. Uh, a great idea. Yeah, it's um, it's been in the in the pipeline for the last few weeks, and it's um, it's great for racing that it got over the line. Um, it's ten extra days that we're going to show, and they'll be done from from the 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 brilliant studio in RT, which you kind of you'd see on the Sunday game and these programs as well. So mm. and it's good to get to use that studio in there. Uh, it's a good opportunity for Hugh Cahill as well, who's who's taken over the reins this year. He kind of. Uh, it kind of came to a halt with everything that stopped, but um, he's going to get lots and lots of uh, opportunities over the next few weeks. Um, himself, Ruby and Jane, and we'll have a bit of Ted Walsh on Zoom as well, which could be uh, pretty interesting as well. <laughs> I'd love the idea of getting this older generation of presenters to start using this newfound technology. Um, it's just it's just brilliant. And Dave, Dave, I might bring you in here. I mean, RT's coverage of horse racing has, all, has for a long time now been my favourite, ever since the demise of the Channel 4 team when that was at its peak. Um, the way they deliver it is is a little bit different to what people are used to um, if they only ever watch a UK delivery or, say, a racing UK. Yeah, like, it's, it's very... In your not in your face is the wrong term, but like it, there's no uh, pulling any punches. Like they say it how it is. You you've Ruby on there who speaks his mind. Obviously Ted is never short for a few words, as well. And um, like they obviously, it's great coverage. They get involved with people. They get involved with the horses. They, they tell you the backstory completely. Um, 
there's not none of this kind of fairy stuff that you get on ITV. Um, is how I would put it. Um, it's probably the wrong way to put it. But I just think that. No, RT- I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. though. Exactly. They, they yeah. kind of suck sweets a little bit on ITV. Yeah. Yeah, like the whole social stable at, at, at Cheltenham and then the the fashion at, at Royal Ascot. I know it's part of Royal Ascot, but you'd never see anything like that on RTE. And um, it's just no. it's great. We've all we've been crying out for the last few years to have more RTE coverage um, from Take On Extra Days. When uh, Virgin Media came in and took the UK days when ITV took over, we were hoping RTE would step in there and, and take them. So it's just great mm-hmm. that we're finally going to have a bit more coverage on, on RTE and get the presenters out there who are are brilliant well as them i was highlighting during the week uk is going to have like a, a a golden window for for racing to take center stage and i know itv are going to be all over it and it's great to see rt all over it when the irish racing comes back here on the 8th of june and we're going to talk about some of that racing that is um well, due to come back in just a few days which is which is great but we haven't none of us have caught up really i mean obviously individually we have but none of us have, have caught up really about what we ended up missing from the back end of the jump season. I mean, Dermot, me and you were at Cheltenham there for the for the four days in, in mildly surreal circumstances, certainly towards the last couple of days of that meeting, because everybody knew that what was coming would mean that events like that were probably not going to last very long. Um, what we do, what we normally get after Cheltenham, though, if we stick to the racing part of it, is that some of these battles that went the way that they did, say, on day one of Cheltenham, where Shiskin got the better of Abracadabras or Epitont won a champion herd or, or Honeysuckle, our beloved Honeysuckle, got the better of Benny de Gier, as we all thought she would, we would normally get to see them again at either Aintree or Punchestown. I mean, th- these things, that w- the season was robbed of that. Oh, definitely. I mean, firstly, yeah, that, that Thursday at Cheltenham, Dean, or was the weirdest. Remember, we were watching the... Leo Varadkar addressed to the Irish nation whilst we were watching yeah. that, that Ireland was shutting down, but we were looking over tens of thousands of people arriving into Cheltenham. It just was the most surreal experience of my life, really, just standing there watching. It was just so odd. But the festival itself, I mean, the honeysuckle Benny to do debate, that's not going anywhere. But unfortunately, we didn't kind of get a crescendo to it, like a like a backup question. I still think honeysuckle would, would back that up. But Benny to do's camp definitely don't think so. And Punchestown would would have offered us that and yeah. you know we didn't get that we didn't get to see whether Tiger rolled whether that kind of he could kick on and win the Grand National thereafter after what was a good run in the end really he just he tired out on ground that Keith Dunhu was worried about and like it's very exciting for next season but it just would have been great to have maybe got a few confirmations on some things um like the the, the Gold Cup picture would Santini have ran an entry and blah 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 you know there's there's absolutely loads of questions now, but that that might just kind of lead into next season and make us kind of that bit more excited now because there's a lot more questions and answers with a lot of these horses and maybe that that will lead to what could well be an absolutely cracking season next year. Uh, definitely will do. Connor, you, you might remember Istabrat being robbed of, you know, history making in the champion hurdle because of foot and mouth. And, and what happened to Tiger Roll there, not getting the chance to go and back it up at, at Aintree and go for another Grand National uh, these things will hopefully get chance to resolve themselves, but there was plenty of divisions there still up for the taking as we would have moved into the rest of the festivals. Yeah, there was lots, um, lots of questions still to be answered. There was lots of rematches going to be had. Um, the Tiger Roll one was, I was very disappointed. Like you don't, it was all built up um, for the whole season. Like this was going to be, like it's all roads lead towards this. Um, look at trying to get the, tra- the the three Grand Nationals in a row. Um, 
it was yeah to, to be kind of starved of that now is it was 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 a big disappointment um for a race and as a whole really like it was a massive story he's if you if you say to the general public one horse to give me a name one horse these days it'd be tiger roll he's the he's the horse that everyone knows um hopefully next year he can still be around and it mightn't be a three years in a row but three and four years and um it'll be great if he could do it um but not to be start to be not given the opportunity this year i know nothing could have been done but a uh, massive disappointment for racing we just have to hope that there is another kind of 12 months left in the engine of tiger roll you know he's going to be looked after perfectly to go and have a go at that and i think general generally in racing days like that are what bring the next generation of fans into the sport and to miss an opportunity like that is a bit of a shame although tiger roll will still have all the fanfare around it if he does make it back for uh, next next season's campaign, and we hope he does. Dave, there were some remarkable races at Cheltenham, one of the weirdest ones being something like Champ maybe winning an RSA, or if you can remember as far back as the Arkle being won by Put the Kettle On, when I think everyone was staring at you know, the top three or four in the market and, and getting it all sideways. Um, what, what was the, the highlight, and perhaps what was the thing that you might have missed most because we missed out then on the next, the kind of next chapter of that season? Yeah, like just on on the last point there, Dean, like there's a loads of performances in handicaps and stuff like that, like Aramax and the Fred Winter, um, Imperial Aura and Simply the Best mm. State Collateral Form. Like it would have been very interesting to see what they've gone into grade one company at the likes of Ainstream Punches Town and if they would have progressed. Um, put the kettle on, like she won an article fair play to her. It's not the result I would have seen at all. Um I was a big back of the dairy fan. I, notebook completely blew up for me he just didn't jump and he got broadsided so I would like to see I would have liked to see how he came back at Aintree or Punchestown Henry likes to send his horses to Aintree so he could have seen him fly around there um, and if he was back to himself he would have taken some stopping but it was, it was they festival itself the racing taking away the context and the, the, the what was going on in the background of Cheltenham it was a fantastic festival over the four days there were some fantastic finishes uh, the favourite finish for me was Sam Crow and, and Mellon in the in JLT, um, it was just a head bobber all the way to the line, and you could hear, you nearly hear jockey oh, straining for every inch to try and get up up on the line. And Sam Crow, for all the names he's been called in the world, put his neck right out on the line to, to get it there. Yeah, there was some serious redemption in that. Yeah. Um, I still can't believe Mellon didn't win. Uh, as much as I, I, I love yeah. Sam Crow. <laughs> Well, if anyone could have eyes on our WhatsApp group, most of us would be in court, but that's not what I was going to refer to, is that I, I basically have been saying all the time that Sam Crow had to go RSA, the only race could win, the only race could win the RSA, that was perfect for him. he would have won the RSA, definitely, they just knew better than me, and similar demo, you might remember happened with us with Ravenhill last year, when they moved him then into the National Hunt Chase, which meant we all forgot about Milan Native, it's whenever you look back at like Cheltenham results like that, um, you just go and think, oh my god, how much you know, how much could I have got right uh, with a little bit of hindsight? And hindsight, you only get after the event, Dermot. Yeah, like like Pasha the Polar those few years ago when he won twice in the Fox Hunters and both times you walked away and said, well, how stupid was that not to back that, you know? And it was similar this year. Ravenhill was sore. But kind of the, the reasoning behind leaving him alone was the camp themselves. I mean, he drifted that day because they just didn't think he'd go on the ground. It just turned out to be one of the worst uh, three-mile sixers there's ever been. Um, the only one and worst. The only one ever, yeah. And uh, no, there was there was a few very, very sore beats. Like, I just, I'll never forget standing there beside Jadine for, first of all, Nelly Indo was very sore. And then, but then turning around and Mellon, sure, we, we shook each other's hands, sure, we were sure he was up. 
and yeah. um, for yeah. for Melon to be beaten. It, it was a very good Cheltenham Festival, but it could have been unreal. Connor, what was the the highlight for you over the four days? I mean, there was there was some redemptive stories, likes of Min getting it done. I mean, Willie Mullins took an age to win a Gold Cup, and then Album Photo goes and backs up. Um, there were there were some great races. It was a massive surprise in the stairs hurdle. I mean, overall Cheltenham, I think, delivered in lots of different ways, whether you came out on top or not. What was the highlight for you? Um, ah, for sure, the Album Photo story. Um, yeah, like he's. It's just, even though the way he's trained every year, he goes to Tremor, he heads to Cheltenham. I know it's only been, he's done it to two years, but like, he, I don't think he's got the credit he's deserved. Um, like he's a back-to-back Gold Cup winner. Um, and especially for the way that they, that Paul Townend and Willie Mullen started the week, you, you kind of, I think it was, you got to, did you get to Wednesday evening? And that was the first winner when they, um, Fernie Hollow won the bumper, like they were, they were struggling. And all of a sudden the, 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 the Thursday and Friday and culminating in that, that Gold Cup, um, it's to, to have a horse to come and win it the second year in a row, as you know, not many horses have done it. And for sure that um that was a highlight for me. Um there's lots lots of big performances. Like we haven't really spoken about Envoy Allen, like he's he's a an aeroplane is the only word to describe him, I think. And just to see what he did even in Cheltenham that day when there was a big gasp from the crowd coming down the hill, it looked like Davy was was uh, was was worried, but he wasn't. He he just needed a bit of a bit of daylight and the way he came up the hill was unbelievable. So uh, there's lots to look forward to going like going into next season when the jumps get back and um, we're in a good place with uh, with especially the novice hurdlers going novice chase and that's going to be some division next year for sure. Oh, it looks incredible. And we, we say that lots of times, but it really does look super incredible for next year. You touched on the story of Cheltenham quite well there, and in fact, with, with Townend and what happened with Benny DeJune, Honeysuckle. Um, I just wanted to, I mean, we don't have you on the podcast very often, Connor. Which, which side of the argument are you on with that? I mean, the result was the result in the day. But um, would you have it being the same if you know things have panned out slightly differently? Oh, um, it's always hard. These arguments are always uh, they're always hard to to kind of to when you don't know what has happened. But I I think if if he didn't have to I I think if he didn't have to to go around and I think she might have she might have won. Like she wasn't beaten fair in the end. Benny to do yeah. Um, there, there's not a lot between those two mares, and it was great that. That we that they got to run against each other, um, because we we didn't know if it was going to happen, and that was kind of the the one match that people were looking forward to going into the week, um, and like even to get the little bit of controversy off the back of it, like would like we're still talking, like nobody, yeah, that's why it's great. Has, has won, like she she won this day, but if we went to Punchestown, it could have been a different result. That the race went different, like there's there's not much between those two mares. There's two two super mares to be fair, um, yeah, yeah. Hopefully they both stay sound and. And they come back next year. Although this mare's chase now in Chatham next year, I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, another if another spanner in the works of yeah. great race planning. Like I just, you know, this kind of thing does annoy me a little bit. Um, I likened that clash of the two mares to like a football match between, you know, say Celtic and Rangers or or Tottenham and Arsenal, where there's a penalty in the last few minutes and everyone on one side says definitely a penalty, and everyone on the other side says definitely wasn't a penalty. Yeah. And you're never going to know until they meet again, which is that's what's great about it. Yeah, it's um, it's we'll hopefully get it next year. Um, even if it's it's once even in the season we take it. But um, the fact that they didn't uh, didn't get to do it again at punch then was a bit of a disappointment. But uh, so yeah, as I said, two super mares. Um, interesting to see what I don't know what anyone else has taken. What honeysuckle might do next year? Like, would she jump a fence or will she not? Hard to know. But I think that mares chase is made for Benny Dejou. Um, yeah. When she came here at first, she was she was jumping fences and she's electric over them. And I think, I don't know, I just have a feeling that they might 
they might head down that road with her. Yeah, I mean, she's been and done the other things. There's the Stayers and this Chase race available to to a horse like Benny de Gia. And with Honeysuckle, I'd be inclined, it's not my horse, so I won't get any input into the decision, but I'd be inclined to just pick and choose those softer races in Ireland if they come up. There's not many of them, but, you know, like the Irish champion this year really opened up for her to go and have a go, and they did that. And then they've got the mares that they can just keep going back to. And uh, Benny would, you would imagine, wouldn't last as long as Honeysuckle will if they keep doing that. But well, two talented horses for sure, and that argument's still very open. But the other thing was like how it turned around for Paul Townend, really, with like even Burning Victory winning a triumph. If you can remember that happening, because all anyone can remember is Goshen. Um, Dave Goshen not winning that triumph hurdle was one of the probably the saddest moments of that week. And then now they've got all eyes on maybe an e-ball, but maybe that'll be robbed of him because they've probably stuck him in the field since and that hasn't been doing anything. <laughs> yeah, sure. You probably have to... Yeah. Like, you felt terrible for it happening. We've all had it happen to us from a punting perspective where a horse falls to the last and you're, you're gutted like because it was home and hose. Any power rings a bell like with the four-timer a couple of years ago. Um, mm. But the way it happened and how, how we destroyed that field really like like it, it didn't look a great triumph on paper and it kind of probably turned out like that um, and Goshen was just a, a mile clear of them um, now Burnham Victory was unexposed going into the race I suppose but um, like the scenes coming out afterwards and I think because it was the Moors and because Jamie and, and Gary are probably well liked um, in that and they're kind of they're good lads and all that kind of stuff that was probably a bit more sympathy given to them like you can't imagine um, AP going over to Ruby and putting his arm around them. If it was Ruby on the deck after the mm. last, um, I think Ruby probably telling him where to go. Um, so I think that kind of, and he's a bit young and all that, but um, like he's a very exciting horse going forward. Would he win a, could he win a champion? Probably, but he wouldn't be for me. I think he'd be too headstrong and too a bit too wild still. Um, he don't see him settle a bit better. Yeah, imagine if he does though. That's a that's yeah, an engine and a half, exactly. isn't it? Uh, Demo, I might come to you for the for the last point because you know the last race of that meeting um, hopefully doesn't define how good your week has been. But um, when when the boss's Oscar got left at the start, the Marlin Pipe. I think anyone who listens to the race hour were going, "Ah, oh, those lads." I hope oh okay. yeah, like you know, <laughs> Fire the Burley Satcher did did kind of move us back into the the black for the week, but. Sure. The boss is Oscar. I mean, he just everything went wrong. I felt very sorry for the young jockey. He kind of got a bit of a bad rap um, afterwards on Twitter. I thought when kind of punters were kind of blaming him. The, you know, the horse missed the first. He came back. Uh, Keith confirmed in his bookmakers article that the horse came back very distressed afterwards, and they just think that he threw away the race to begin with. And the way he finished uh, to run on for what, how he finished sixth or seventh in the end was just phenomenal. And it's he's a horse maybe for something like the Kim Weir next year or something like that that he would uh, you'd imagine Gordon now will have a long term target with him and he'd be one maybe like Milan Native or one of them that that could end up kind of really kicking on and he looks a very good horse who just every single thing that could have went wrong and those big field handicaps are bad enough without there being 24 conditionals uh, going for space as well so there was once he once he missed the first and lost his, his position it, it was game over I remember thinking, watching them line up for that race, I don't know why I back out any post at Cheltenham anymore because you forget that when they line up, there's like 30 of them and you realise that that thing you thought you were on a good thing suddenly has to navigate uh, like almost like a Grand National style hurdle race. You're like, I don't know what I've done here. I don't know why I've got so involved. And I think every year I do that with Cheltenham, but I always play anti-post at Cheltenham. Does anyone think anti-post at Cheltenham is dead because of the concessions that come on the day? It's not a new thing. We've known this for years. 
yeah, it's, it, I think it's gone. Um, it's just looking back at some of my own bets this year, like and I had a few each way trick, tricksies and stuff like that, where I had horses finish sixth at big prices, and you would have got paid on the day. Um, at similar prices, like you weren't taking like say it was a thirty-three to one shot, you're probably getting twenty-five to one on the day, but you're getting two extra places. Um, yeah. whereas you're when I mean, you're tying for money for longer as well, like so I I think it's dead. Um, there's so much chat about Cheltenham like you're, you're rarely going to get much value um, on, unless you see something spectacular early on like and you, you know about it so you're not going to get much value because the prices are so mm. so fluid like you know I had a few of those chip away bets you know and I kept putting Paisley Park in because that was a banker in the yeah. spares hurdle ouch yeah, <laughs> that was just right. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And I remember getting to, to that day, going, "Well, this will be a good day because whatever happens, Paisley will win, and we'll be fine." Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, that's, I, I'm that's pretty just sure I'm pretty sure I backed Disney Gar Oscar to win the an Albert Bartlett as well at some stage. So I felt equally sick. I, 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 the only the only thing I could take out of listening to Garoska because he's a lovely horse and everything. I I just remember earlier on the season on the race house saying he definitely he's not going to be a chaser. Yeah. Um. So, so you know, I'll, I'll take all credit for that. Rebecca Curtis can can Come send me a check. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, look, that was that was enjoyable. But you know, the racing that is coming up is going to be full of the of the flat variety. So we we'll take a very quick break here, and then I might tap into uh, some of your expertise before we do step into what's going to be a pretty glorious few weeks of flat racing. You're listening to the Race Hour podcast, brought to you by bookmakers.co.uk. Check out bookmakers.co.uk each and every day for tips, news and the best odds for horse racing. Looking for a new bookmaker and the best sign-off offers in the industry? You'll find that at bookmakers.co.uk, sponsors of the Race Hour. Hello and welcome back to the race hour uh, with our friends at bookmakers.co.uk for an unusual um, well, edition of the race hour. We were just talking about Cheltenham and like the guineas is only like a week away. So it was an interesting uh, way to do it. But uh, Dave, I might come to you first. Uh, English racing is going to get underway first. Although I think Boris has yet to say yay or nay to the 1st of June, but I'm pretty sure um, you know travel and entries and everything's out. Actually, there's 120 entries over um, the 10 race at Newcastle. Yeah, sorry. Okay, well, I mean, we're declared, aren't we? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and um, we've got jockeys and horses and riders, but no nod from Boris just yet. Probably come out as this podcast goes live. But um, yeah, so we're back underway. Newcastle. You know what I thought it looked like, Dave? I thought it looked like a race night was being organised because I'd never heard of any of the horses. Um, the jockey's name looked familiar to me, and it was twelve runners in every race. Yeah, yeah, and it's all in black and white. Um, yeah, it's, it's great to have it back. Like. It's only so much US and French racing yeah. you can watch um, before you get a pain with some very novicey amateurish jockeys um, giving terrible rides. But um, like Newcastle, it would be my ideal place to start. Um, you'd rather see a big track like Newbury or um, I know Newmarket's following week. Yeah, I mean, we don't need to get too excited. Dave, we don't need to get too excited about what kind of racing we're going to get there. It's a soft launch, isn't it? To what's yeah, soft launch, yeah, exactly. They, you forget that UK haven't done behind closed doors at all. Um, like the Irish have a week or so, ten days behind them from the back of Cheltenham to when it was all called off. Um, so hopefully, hopefully it goes on without a hitch and there's no outbreaks or anything like that. Um, people are honest and upfront if they are feeling unwell, and we get some good racing. Like Newmarket, Newmarket sorry, Newcastle is a, it's a tricky track. Um. You watch a bit of it on Friday nights when Dundalk's on, and uh, 
like straight in, in the sprint tracks you, you want to be drawn high you see your horses flying from the back in the last furlong or so to come up and win so it's exciting yeah it's great to have it back and roll on the next couple of weeks where we get some cracking races I remember covering the very first uh, meeting at Newcastle on that on that new track for um, one of the companies I was working for. And I think I tipped three winners at double figure prices. And I was like, wow, why has this course never existed before? Obviously, I did it completely blind in terms of how they would act and how they would get on. I don't think I've ever had a winner there since. So I won't be steaming into day one. But like you made a good point there, Dave, that Ireland was actually racing behind closed doors and only really stopped because of you know concerns about whether they would be taking away key resources from what was needed for the pandemic, which makes a lot of sense. But it's, it, now that it's coming back, Connor, I might come to you. It's already set up and ready to go, isn't it? They know exactly what they're going to be doing. It's a replication of what they were already doing. Yeah, um, it seemed to it seemed to go well when um, when they when they did do it um, at the start of the, the whole thing. Um, there is a seventy seven page document of, pro- of protocols, which uh, takes oh a lot of reading, but they they have. Um, they have it all there like the you got to do this you got to do that and to be fair everyone in the industry is uh is, is going to be willing to do whatever it takes to get back um like the trainers need these horses need these horses back running owners need horses back running like they're paying they're paying training fees for the horses that are sitting in stables for the last while um so it yeah it, it looks like a good setup and hopefully um hopefully it can go it can go smoothly now when we do start back here in ireland then what is it? It's a little over, little about ten days or so now. But um, yeah, yeah, it's set up nicely. It's it's um, behind closed doors. There won't be many people there, um, and it's just yeah, we're going to have unbelievable racing every nearly every day now these days. So um, we're in for a, a fairly fairly hectic six weeks of racing with all these group ones. Every everything really, it's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be pretty tricky for punters because we're it's it's like you know day one of the flat seasons collides with with guineas and and derby trials and 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 listed races and and loads of unraced two year olds when we're only what two and a bit weeks away from the start of a Royal Ascot will, will it miss anything with no crowds, Dermo? You think? I'm not sure about the, missing a whole pile from the spectacle on TV. Obviously, people will will miss going, and obviously, you know there there will be a small lack. Of atmosphere but i think because a horse race begins and ends so quickly it won't have the same kind of uh soullessness like you can find maybe with the bundesliga at that time yeah i like yeah. i think the the way the way that a race starts and finishes you'll just get very used to it like even before uh when when ireland was in lockdown but racing was still going on it just didn't feel too abnormal just by the way that they were working the cameras and everything else as well like so there will be a big impetus on that it will be all coming up the straight and ascot obviously without there being a crowd roaring them home but mm. you'll adapt to that very very quickly it's a sport where it's a, it kind of begins and ends especially flat racing very very quickly and it would have been a lot worse maybe had it been the you know the likes of a Cheltenham festival where there wasn't a roar to begin with like but like Ascot's just going to be so odd. I mean, like, like how do you get about sorting out something like the Coventry now? Um, how do you even sort out entries? Even, um, it, it just seems just bizarre, really, that you're going to have like a load of unraced two-year-olds probably in that race, um, and it's going to be very hard to sort it out. And even the likes of Aidan O'Brien, who's famed for the fact that he brings a he brings his yeah. two-year-olds along very slowly, he's not going to be able to do that now, really, is he? Like. No, geez. I mean, the whole Aidan O'Brien plan 
of like you know my horses aren't ready until they absolutely need to be they're never ready at the, the goran parks and the uh, the nason the navins just getting their warm-up races you see them go off short price and get beaten it's almost accepted that that's you know there's going to be work left on them the whole plan has to be changed but these races now are really being run demo so that the breeding industry still has champions to to you know have and and say well that was the that was the Coventry winner that was the coronation winner that's going to win the guineas even though they're winning the guineas eight days after the season starts yeah no 100% because I was just thinking like you know like Harazan won the derby and like to this point he was unraced you know Barr obviously he he'd raced a bit earlier but at this point in our season you'd wonder whether you know the likes of a Harazan and these kind of horses might just end up not not getting enough kind of into them before before they they end up in a derby you know and it's it, it's kind of it's just it's probably unfortunate for, for the likes of a trainer who thought that you know a two-year-old with two back or two backward and we'll keep them back now for when when they are uh three years old so definitely they've landed on the right conclusion that they, they really have to start this all out and they have to get their champions from a breeding point of view but it's kind of like you know if if liverpool had won the league uh on a points per game metric, whilst you you accept that they are the champions, there's there's a bit of an asterisk next to it, isn't there? Yeah, it, I, I do feel a bit like that, and um, but I understand exactly why it's going to go ahead. And as a punter, I'm I'm no doubt still going to get involved, but never with anything like the normal confidence you'd have having seen a horse arrive at the big day with two or three runs under its belt and a little bit of pecking order sorted out i mean some people would say that this doesn't suit a yard like like aiden o'brien because of the way that he normally trains um his his best horses coming into into classic territory but connor i might come to you i mean it's aiden o'brien so he's probably going to be well well ahead of the curve at this point in fact i'd be less concerned about aiden o'brien having this horse ready than any other yard although it doesn't suit his normal modus operandi no, it doesn't suit the. We have to kind of remember like we're in, we're going to be back racing the eighth of June, and that's that would normally be the time when when Aiden's two year olds would kind of be getting going. Um, in a season, I know they haven't been to the track, but you can be uh, you can be sure that they've been uh, they've been doing plenty at home. And the way the season is, he's going to have to have these uh, two year olds uh, more forward than usual. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you're seeing a lot more of them. And maybe win first time out, but I suppose until we get the first, it'll be interesting the first couple of couple of days. Even um, I think just two couple of two year old races in Nace the first day, yeah, uh, just to see just to see how they run the first the first few of them, and then we can kind of you might get a bit of a gauge. But I, I'd say he'd have to have them. He would definitely have to have them more forward and and ready to rock. I'd say. Yeah, I mean, Dave, if if I was to ask you, would you be happy punting all the O'Brien horses this time of year, first time out? I'd, I'd say you would be if he's running them against each other at home. He's probably had the most competitive racing going on uh, anywhere else. Yeah, big time. Um, like Aiden's second time out thing, it's it's not. It's probably in the last five seven years that it's only really come to fruition that he's kind of taken his time with them a little bit more. And um, before that, the lads used to have to go into their heads straight away and they'd be bagging in winners left, right, and centre first time out. And even the last couple of seasons, um, you've seen it a couple of times as well where they've had first time out winners. Um, and usually their best ones are first time out winners as well. So like it wouldn't bother me. Like Aiden has all the facilities down there that we know. Like um, so he's he'll have them going from day one, open to be banging the winners left, right, and centre. I'd imagine. Um, I don't have any doubt about yeah. that really at all. He's not going to want to leave, you know, races like the the English um, one thousand and two thousand behind Ipera. And I was seeing in the in um, Irish racing and reported elsewhere that. Um, he may even send as many as five over to the UK for those races, which is 
you know, going to make those ultra competitive. I don't think you'll see the same in reverse from the UK trainers, Dave. No, no, sure. We know the UK trainers don't really travel. Um, they do a bit more for the flat when it comes to the current and stuff like that. But um, I would imagine... Should they may not be allowed. I'm not even sure no, of the yeah, circumstances. We know, we, know, allowed. we know they're allowed in the UK. Um, and Aidan was saying, I think, in that interview as well, that his stable staff might be staying over there until after Royal Ascot then wants to go to the Guineas. Right. Um, so mm-hmm. it, there's this for trainers, especially Irish trainers, with Royal Ascot on the horizon. Um, it's going to be a bit of logistical issues, I say, for some of the smaller yards. You, like Jerry Lyons might want to have runners over there. He might not have the staff. People have been let go. They might have moved on to different yards with all the um, yeah. with COVID and all that kind of stuff. So um, there could be some messing, and you might see a few horses that are declared, might be non-runners late on, or they might think that their target is a certain race and they're not show for it but at least you know with Aiden that he like, Aiden flies back and over to Royal Ascot every day um, in a normal mm. year so um, they have the, the facilities and the logistic power to, to do all that you know oh geez, I mean it, it may just it may just suit them to dominate not that they wouldn't dominate anyway um, just because of the the power that is in in those yards, and of course, you know now with uh, Donica and and Joseph as well. I mean that that dynasty is set to uh, set to take even greater shape. I mean, demo, we're going to have a few quiet days as the racing does come back, and I don't think we'll all be jumping up and down about steaming into the first few days of it. It'd be interesting to see how it all kicks off um, in the UK with the racing returning on on Monday with with Newcastle, but from Friday and on ITV, for example, where I think they're going to show twenty one races, including. Um, of course, the 1,000, the 2,000, and a load of rearranged races, like the, the Brigadier Gerard from Sandown that was lost. You've got the Coronation Cup and stuff. It's going to be brilliant stuff. Um, I mean, if the Guineas were, you know, running now, and they're pretty far, well, what are they, just a week away, do you have any thoughts about these first classics? Because the Irish race is going to come a little bit after that. Yeah, I mean, Pinot Tubo, like, he's just going to be very, very hard to beat, isn't he? Like, it's... Um like his form kind of completely stacks up he's he's just done everything uh, and he's looked absolutely brilliant the one thing that that would add out a bit of distress signals maybe was the the trainer kind of saying that they'd they'd let him tell them their trip after the guinea so you, you kind of maybe just have a small bit of a dawn approach worry with him maybe kicking on afterwards for the season but he's mm. 10 to 11 and it's it's just hard hard to look past him it really is um like I won't be winning any prizes there for obviously putting him up, but like he's just, I just find it very, very hard to to kind of see past him. Like I think it, it it's very interesting that obviously Arizona runs, you've got Kameko, Kinross, and Military March, but just a race I think that completely revolves around the favourite and with kind of next to no prep runs into them. Uh, that's a race that I that I definitely would be avoiding. Whilst in the one thousand guineas, like that's that's also. Obviously, a quadrilateral is a strong enough favourite. She's she's a three to one or so. But the one the one I'd like there was kind of uh, Daya, who was very impressive at um, a Royal Ascot last season as well. So hmm. she'd be one that, that I'd have an each way play on. Hopefully, you you might get Frank up on board, but you'll see what way he's booked. But she'd be my play at fourteen to one in the one thousand guineas. But the two thousand guineas, I'll just be watching to see if Pinaturo is as good as he showed last season. Okay. 
Yeah, I can understand that completely. I think the Pinatubo question is one that's very tricky to answer. And we don't know exactly what will turn up from Aiden Sharkano. If he did come over with, say, brought five for the two races, certainly adds another layer of intrigue into those contests, especially as we haven't seen them all. So it's very hard to, to come out and be confident about it. I thought the top two in both markets were the ones to go. But like, geez, that's, you know, I, could have, I could have put that in any column anywhere, any time and been fine with that. What do you make of those two early classics? But I think when, when Aiden is bringing five, I think that means he mightn't be as confident as if he was bringing a good one. But I, mm. I don't know. I, I think it's hard to to get past Pinatubo. Um, I, I, I don't know, stepping up and trip after, I, I think he is going to be a miler. Um, the five of Aiden's, if he does bring five, like Arizona, he's been beaten fair and square by Pinatubo a couple of times. Um it, it does depend how they've kind of they've developed through the winter and who's kind of developed into a better better three year olds, which will be fascinating to see. And um, it's hard that like Dermot said, it's it's hard to get past this favor. Like at ten to eleven, I for sure won't be getting involved. But um, he's he's probably going to win if he turns up. If he turns up, uh, he's probably going to win. I think. Um, and the one the one thousand is a lot is a lot more interesting. And there's a horse of Aidens and that that mightn't be on a lot of people's radars it's a horse called peaceful um she only had about, i think three runs last year but um she might be better going further later on in the season she might be in oaksville but uh, i think at a big a relatively big price she might be uh maybe one that that could run a decent race each way in that but to be honest they're not really races that um that are especially when they're so early in the season you're not going to get see prep runs they're not really races that, are, that you can be yeah. too confident about i don't think yeah, no, that's fair enough. I mean, Dave, they've had an extra month than they would have normally had to turn up in a guinea. So if some of them did need to strengthen up, you'd hope they were more than ready at this point. But just that lack of racing would make it very difficult for you to, to go piling into a Pinatubo or a Quadrilateral, if you did like it, at those current prices. Yeah, like, I'd be against Pinatubo. Um, like usually the, the 2000 guineas is for the best two-year-old cult um, from the year before which is Pinatubo, but it's this is now coming a month later. Um, so other horses have had that extra month to strengthen up and catch up to them and, and build into the three-year-old frames. So I think we could see a shock here. I'm not really entirely sure what weight yet, um, close to the day before I make that decision. But at the current odds, I'd be completely against Pinatubo. Um, and like the trainer wouldn't fill me with confidence either. He's a smashing trainer is what he is, but... Um, it's not like he's Aiden's record in, in the guineas yeah you know so um, you keep an eye on, on Aiden's horses and follow the market there because the lads are very rarely wrong um, and the 1000 guineas uh, Peaceful is a nice horse and I think so wonderful for Aiden as well is, is a decent filly and she could be more of a, a miler mm -hmm. herself um, and this could be her bike early on in the season okay 20s and 25s those two uh, so wonderful 25 20s around for peaceful i thought quadrilateral got a little bit cribbed for that that run where it just she looked like she was going to get beat and then hits the line full of running with the ears pricked i'd be more confident of backing quadrilateral than i would of pinatubo but you know my brain works in different ways and if they're not jumping fences I'm not normally that confident about any of them, but uh, I'm looking forward to it all coming back. What about some some hopes for the early races that we know now we're back underway across both sides of the water, Dave? I might ask you if there's one horse you're really looking forward to in these early classics because they're going to come very quickly. Irish 1000 and 2000 as well. And then, you know, the Derby is literally only, what, a month away for the rescheduling, a month and a week away. Is there a horse that you think is going to light up this season that, you know, maybe isn't going to feature in these races or maybe is? 
Um, not so much for the Guineas. Uh, I'm mad about Mogul for Derby. Um, you have to forgive him his running the race post trophy, but that was postponed and then it was put onto the all weather and it just wasn't really run to suit him at all. I don't think he was ever going to be a miler. I think the mile and a half will suit him and I think he will be uh, by Kilmore's first choice for this. And um, I think he has a smashing chance in that. He's a third favourite at the moment. But I think Pinatubu will probably blow up in the guineas and then he'll be favoured after that. So he's about 10 to 1 at the moment. I'd see him being half that price without even opening the barn door. 10 to 1 for the English derby, 5 to 2 for the Irish derby, Mogul. Uh, currently, Demo, same question to you. I mean, we're, we're obviously a jumps podcast normally, and most of the audience for the race out be very interested in the jumps race. But I think we're all going to turn into flat racing aficionados now. We've all become health experts during a lockdown. It's kind of that way that you go, isn't it? That suddenly this is what's on. So I'm all into this. 100%. Yeah, like Joe, like a few horses to follow, of course, that the, we'll move on to later on in the show but just from the the classics point of view uh the only bet i've had uh was on domino darling for the uh the epsom oaks um oppenheimer owned filly by by golden horn uh she was she's she's clearly held in high regard by the haggis team and that that win at doncaster when gold wand of uh roger varians was back like she just couldn't be beaten and domino darling was superb to get up on the day and hit the line so strong that you just being by Golden Horn, you just know that that you know she, if she can translate any of his ability into her own, she'd be very hard to stop. She'll she she'll definitely love this trip, and I just think um, a twelve to one or so. I think as the season goes on, once we see her once or maybe twice, um, you'll just see how good she is. She was she was very green that day, and she seriously kicked on. So, um, wow. she's now down to about twelve to one or so, and but I do think that that is a cracking bet. Okay, interesting. Well, Domino down and then 12 to 1 uh, for the Oaks. Uh, Connor, I know you mentioned already that you thought Peaceful might be a little bit under the radar for something like the 1000 Guineas. Um, of the season as a whole, I know you're a, a, generally a long radar man in terms of the flat season. Is there anything that's really standing out for you that we know now is all going to come in front of us and probably come at us quite quickly? Any horses that we should be kind of keeping an eye on or you've already got an eye on for something big? Um. I don't want to be copying Dave here now, but uh, Mogul is a horse that um, I've a I've a big liking for. Um, he's he's a full brother to Japan, who I think if he hadn't had the setback last year early on the season, I think he would have won the Epsom Derby. Um, but Mogul, ah, he he's he's crying out for a trip. Uh, I think the plan is to start back in the Darrenstown and Leopardstown, which comes up early enough. I think when we when we start back in a couple of weeks. And I think it'll be a good run there and onto the onto the derby. And uh, I'm sitting on a nice docket, so I'm uh, I'm a little bit biased, but I, I still think he's uh, I still think he's the one stepping up and trip uh, for the derby. Uh, there's one in the two thousand get the Irish two thousand guineas. Um, it's going to by the looks of it is going to cut up um, a lot, especially with what Aidan has said over the last uh, the last few days. Uh, Siskin seems short enough, I think, at five yeah. to two, kind of two to one. Uh, there's a horse at Dermot Wells uh, who's called Shechem. Uh, you might remember him from last year. He had plenty, plenty of runs. Um, he ran behind Inish Free, Louisiana. He ran behind Mogul as well. He ran behind a lot of the good um, Aidan O'Brien horses. Um, I think he, I think at a, he's fourteen to one or so at the moment. I think it's going to cut up. He'll be single figure price in the day. I think he's a hardy horse, and he'll with Dharma Weld, he'll be he'll be drilled and ready to go uh, for the first run of the season. So he'll cut end up six or seven to one in the day, and I think. If you got maybe fourteen or twelve around now, he could be a decent each way bet on that. 
Um, he's maybe one, uh, but Mogul, yeah, Mogul for the, the Epsom Derby is a, is a big, a big hope of mine. Okay. Okay, Shechem, interesting. 14 to 1 is around right now for that Irish 2000 guineas. And that comes up in, well, just under two weeks' time. It's on Saturday, the 13th of June. Um, it's going to fly at us pretty quickly. I think, Dermo, you said you had a few horses to follow for the flat season. We've kind of got to that stage of the podcast now because we will come back next week and talk about, you know, what the classics that are right on the doorstep then because we'll be a day or two away from the first ones in the UK and a couple of days away from resumption of Irish racing um, as well. So, why don't you give us those, Demo, if there were a few you wanted to highlight for the, for this term, belated as it starts. Belated. <laughs> belated is right, Dean. And it's, um, yeah, so I had five, but Domino Darling was one of them. But um, sure. when she wins, we can all kick on from that. But Abraham um, is now with Martin Brazel, was a brilliant winner uh, over jumps last season of 104 at Nace. Uh, this is a very interesting horse. They're only eight years old, so there is a bit of progress maybe still in him, but doesn't need to progress all that much. Abraham doesn't because he was second in a Premier Handicap at the Galway Festival in 2016 off 82 and is now rated 67 with Martin Brazel, who seems to have turned this horse right around again. Um, just, it, he's the kind of horse that could definitely kick on and um, win at least one handicap this summer and you'd never know he could end up back at Galway or something like that with uh, with his loan of Mark because a Mark is 67 he's already showed that when he won 104 that he can definitely operate off that level and I just wouldn't be surprised to see him win at least once this summer uh, Boss and George um, over in the UK for Pete Daglish he's another one here now that I've been kind of tracking for a while had a terrible season last year but he's been gelded now at I see in the racing post and he's a four-year-old and he could just mature and keep kicking on because a lot of these horses like what's the story of uh, Keith Daglish and stuff they all just kind of figured themselves out and this was a very good two-year-old who won at Newcastle he ran fifth in a very decent novice race at um at Dunk at York as well sorry um he's been frustrating but Boston George can definitely win this season and he could just be one that uh, Keith Daglish who's a trainer that, that have an awful lot of time for could could turn Boston George inside out and he, he could well keep kicking another one then is um, Millswin I think you pronounce it for Joseph O'Brien he's a frustrating old horse but he was rated last year 85 and he was second at Galway to um, Halami of Bolgers but Halami's kicked on since and has won again he's now rated 97 whilst uh Millswin is down to 81. So you've got, he's a different type. He's kind of frustrating as well, but he ran very well in a very tough handicap at Galway last time with some very decent horses in it and a flat turf mark of 81, just considering how well he ran that day because he actually gave weight to Halami that day, who's who's now, as I've mentioned, rated 97. So a mark of 81 there for Millswin. He could well be saved for Galway because Joseph O'Brien is uh, very good at targeting these races and I think uh, he's just he's definitely well handicapped and then the very last one was a horse who absolutely broke my heart last season was Beckwith Place at Galway was beaten by Make a Challenge who ended up running at the Royal Ascot after that so that, that form was more than franked and he's now rated 80 but there's absolutely no shock was he to, to appear in a handicap like he did at Galway last year of 78 and he could definitely win for Tracy Collins. So the four handicappers a source to follow for the season is Abraham, Boston George, Millswin, and Beckwith Place. 
And you mentioning Galway there a good few times in those sorts. I mean, Connor, Galway's going to be very strange this year because it's all about the crack and the people turning up at that course. When when we do get to Galway behind closed doors and they announced that, fair play to them a, a good while ago that that would be the case, uh, that's going to be an odd meeting. You'll be involved with it, of course, via RTE. Yeah, it's going to be, um, as you said, Galway, it's all about the, the party, the crack and the racing kind of goes with it, I suppose. Um yeah, it's going to be strange. They're, I think they've split it into, we're going to have four all-flat days and three all-jumps days. Mm. Um, so, it's yeah, it's going to be, without the, without the crowd, it's it's definitely going to be very strange. It'll be covered on telly. We'll, uh, we'll have four days anyway with our team, maybe more. Um, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a funny one. I don't know. I'll, I'll hopefully be down there, but there probably won't even be a pub open in town for me. Can you imagine? It'd be very, very different. Uh, I mean, Demo gave us their... Uh, Domino, Darling, Abraham, Boston, George, Millswin and Beckwith Place. You've already mentioned a couple that you really like for this year in terms of Shechem and Mogul and uh, and Peaceful there for that English 1000. Any others you wanted to throw in the mix, Connor, before I go to Dave and see what he's unearthed? Um, there's a few, yeah, there's a couple. There's um, there's a horse of Joseph O'Brien's ran one time at Dundalk. Uh, it's called uh, First Fleet, I think it's called. Or Fifth Fleet, sorry, Fifth Fleet. Um, ran in a maiden in Dundalk before all of this uh, lockdown kicked in. Uh, it was very green that day, a big American feral horse. Um, and he is, I don't want to say, but he's, he's a surefire maiden winner at some stage uh, mm. in the next few weeks, I'd imagine. Um, so keep him on. Side. Probably, I don't know what sort of, the maidens are going to be good. Uh, they're going to be hot maidens when we do come oh, back yeah. is the only thing. Uh, so you won't be getting the soft Dundalk maiden uh, to, to win. Uh, he's a, yeah, he, he could be a, a nice horse. Uh, the sprinter of Dennis Hogan's sceptical looks uh, very special, to be honest. Um, what he's done in Dundalk, uh, I know it's all been on the all-weather, but um, he's going to head to Royal Ascot, I'd say, for either the five or six furlong group one. And he says it's the fastest horse he's ever trained. He'd make a challenge as well. He's two very good sprinters going forward, but um, the sceptical, uh, he looks he looks special. He might find it a, he might find it a bit tough at the top level, but uh, for, for a smaller trainer, well, he's not that small but uh, it's it's nice to have a horse like that uh, a couple more just to list off Brentford Hope uh, Richard Hughes you might remember that uh, the way he won a maiden last season yeah uh, Jamie, Jamie Spencer on do, do, doing his best work Um, it was pretty remarkable it's as good a maiden winner as you would have seen last year I think he could be uh, in line for an Irish derby uh, but he's wherever he goes he's another one to keep an eye on and there was a maiden run at Nace the very first run uh the first day, the one day of the season that we did get uh, was won by a horse called Russian Emperor, another of Aidan O'Brien's. But uh, for all the staying races going forward now this year, uh, he's another one definitely to keep on side. So yeah, that's a few, a few, a few for you there. Hopefully, uh, some of them might uh, might go on to to do good things this year. Well, between you and Demo, you certainly helped me fill my tracker so far. Uh, Russian Emperor, Fifth Fleet, Skeptical, and that Brentford Hope to go with Shechem and uh, and Peaceful, and of course Mogul that we've mentioned already. Uh, Dave, over to you. I think you've got a tough act to follow. I'm going to come in and make it easier for you. I've none. I'm not going to give any. So oh, you're safe enough here, Dave. Yeah, I've only won. Um, and it was already kind of mentioned by Connor there. Um, I think Japan wins Prince Wales Stakes at Royal Ascot. Um, mm-hmm. If that doesn't win, you might as well call the rest of the flat season off. So um, that'd be oh, my dear. one to follow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> okay okay we'll take that on board um all right look we're going to come back next week Derma. i'm right aren't i that we're going to try and roll on through this uh resumptive flat season on the race out and bookmakers.co.uk we'll try and work out some winners for you next week will we Derma? 
We most certainly will. All right, we'll have a go at that. I just want to say, um, you know, to everyone at home, it's been a tough enough time. Thanks for all uh, following the guidelines, as I'm sure you all have. It means racing is coming back. And what an opportunity, as Dermo said on bookmakers.co.uk during the week, um, racing has to just be front and centre for a little while and hopefully give everyone something to to follow. You don't necessarily have to bet on it or be that um, enthused in the punting part of it. Hopefully, just live sport back on TV and giving us all something to to kind of follow it and follow the stories that come with with racing flat or jumps is, is going to be superb. So Connor O'Hare, thanks for coming on. We hope to have you on with us a good few times during uh, the flat season as it comes. Uh, Dave and Dermo, always good uh, to talk to you too. And uh, you've been listening to The Race Hour. Thanks, lads. Um, just a few more days to go and we'll all be back.